Well, good morning, folks, and uh, glad you're with us this morning. Um, I know that uh, things have even changed again as we enter into this weekend, and I pray that you guys are all doing well and you're staying home and staying safe, and I pray that we can uh, continue to lift you up if there are specific things that we can be praying about, as you've heard already a couple times today. Don't, don't hesitate to reach out and send us some messages to let us know how we can pray for you. Uh, in this time. Today we're going to take a chance and we're going to we're going to rewind the clock back to the original Easter week and we're going to look at how the disciples uh, faced some uncertain times. We're going to find ourselves in Luke chapter 19 and we're we're going to study specifically what it means to be part of the kingdom. What does that mean? What does it really look like and and what is it that Jesus was talking about and so as we pick up the, the scriptures here and we look at chapter 19 of Luke, you see the story of Zacchaeus. You see Jesus meeting with him personally. And then you see this story of a, a man who had servants and, and gave them care of his estate while he went to be king. And then he came back to judge their work while he was gone. And Jesus was using that story to illustrate what was really going on in this moment in history. That, that he had come and there were some that rejected him. There were some that were going to do exactly what he thought. And there were some that were just scared of what he was. And he used that story to set up the time frame of the next week of the disciples' lives. And so we're going to pick it up at uh, Luke chapter 19 verses 28 to 40. And we're going to see what happens here with Jesus as he's finished that story about the kingdom and this guy that goes away and comes back and judges his servants. And he says, after he had said this, he went on ahead and going up to Jerusalem as he approached Bethpage and Bethany at the hill called the Mount of Olives. He sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone asks you, Why are you untying it? Say that the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead of him went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked him, why are you untying the colt? And they replied that the Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus. They threw their cloaks on the colt. They put Jesus on it and he went along. The people spread their cloaks on the road. And when he came near to the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully praising God in loud voices for all the miracles that they had seen. And blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he said, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. This was the pinnacle of Jesus' popularity. His disciples all around gathered in Jerusalem, and, and as he's riding down on this colt that was 
preordained and set forth for him to be riding in at this time and this place. They're praising him as a king. They're ready for the kingdom to begin. They're ready for all their problems to be solved, to be overthrown, uh, Roman culture to be to be released from all of the taxes that they have faced. They're ready for a king, and they betray themselves in what they say to Jesus. It says that they that they are praising God in loud voices, and the author here writes, he says they were praising him for all of the miracles that they had seen. At the pinnacle of Jesus' popularity, he had been feeding the hungry. He'd been healing the sick. He had been struggling with the Pharisees and their wisdom and confounding them. He had been fighting and rebelling against some of the ways that the Romans were dealing with people. And and so he had been set up at this place where, where if he would become king, all those problems would go away. There wouldn't be anybody hungry. There wouldn't be anybody sick. There wouldn't be any by struggling with the religious authorities because Jesus would have gotten rid of all of the structures of man and the kingdom would be perfect except for the fact that the sin in our world had not yet been dealt with and that was something that at that moment the disciples hadn't really processed or understood something that God had not yet revealed to them that Jesus was there not just to become a king to take care of their needs, but that that kingdom needed to be restored to something that was foreordained, something that had been created, the kingdom that, that God had really originally created our world to be. Not something that it had become, not something that had been marred by sin, but restored. And the only way that could happen is if sin was removed from our world. The only way to do that is by Jesus having to, to commit one final act of true sacrifice on our behalf. To have that kingdom restored that only lived in forgotten stories of ancient lives. For the Jews, it was different. It was them remembering a time when God led them through the wilderness, when he provided for their needs, when he, when he literally produced manna and quail and, and took care of them. And so that Jewish culture said, we want it to be restored to that kingdom. And, and yet for us, we, we go even further, at least in my mind, I want it to go back to the way it would be in the garden before any of that sin. When I think about what I want the kingdom of God to look like, I want it to be that perfect relationship that we would have in, in a perfect world and unmarred by sin and unmarred by doubt and unmarred by all of the things that we bring into it, humanly speaking. That's really not what was going on here. The people really wanted him to restore it to a place where they wouldn't have to worry about things, where, where God would be in sovereign control, yes, but he would be doing it for them. And as he entered the city, the teachers of the, 
of the folks, uh, the Pharisees, they offered their advice as well to Jesus and said, you know, you should keep your disciples quiet. You should rebuke them for saying these things about you. And Jesus says, if they were to keep quiet, even the stones would cry out as they proclaim that this is something that needs to be done. This procession needs to happen, that, that yes, this is ushering in a different time and a new kingdom, but you don't yet quite know what it is. Jesus, by the somber tone that he takes in verse 41, reveals how he is truly feeling. As you look down to, to verses 41 to 44, Jesus is riding in and he pauses and looks at the city. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. They didn't understand what Jesus was really doing. They didn't really understand what was going on around them in their world. It's not unlike the times that we are in currently. You know, I've heard the president say, and, and we can look back uh, several weeks at our, our 401k dividends, and we can say, man, the world was so great when things were going so well, and our economy was good, and we didn't have to worry about it, and and yeah, that was some good stuff, but there was still a deep underlying current of selfishness and sin, and, and it permeated everything that we really cared about, and that was the same situation here. They praised God. They wanted Jesus to be king, but they wanted him to be king because of the miracles that they had seen him do. And Jesus is overlooking the city of Jerusalem, and he's weeping. He's crying because he understands that what you really need for peace is for you to, to deal with the sin in your heart that separates you from God, and then you can know peace. You can understand it differently. As we look at the history of Jerusalem in and through this too, it's, it's important that you understand that this was painful for Jesus, yes. He knew what was going to happen because as a nation, he could see and he already knew what it was that was going to happen. 35 or more years from this day in 70 AD, Jerusalem would be overthrown entirely by the Romans. They would be in rebellion at that moment and Rome would come in and crush them. They would destroy the temple. They would desecrate everything that was holy to the Jewish community and they would start the diaspora, the completing of the diaspora and send the Jews flung across our globe. They would basically end a nation state as it had stood 
that would that would be held in trust by God for all of those years up to that point when God had given them the promised land in 70 AD that would all be over they would be they would be kicked out of the very thing that they knew Jerusalem would crumble he knew that they would build this embankment that they would that they would leave no stone on one other because it had to do with not a literal reality of the kingdom here meeting all of our needs that it had to do with dealing with the sin in our heart and wanting to restore a relationship with God for eternity that's really what this time frame was about and in the time we live today the Jews would be dispersed throughout the world and most of you only understand necessarily a post-World War II view of Israel. You see, in 1948, the United States was one of the final signers to end the war and to declare the homeland for the Jews to be restored. Palestine would be divided and, and the Jews would receive actually a large share of that ground and that would set off a whole other set of wars. But, but you need to understand that, that what Jesus is weeping over here as he looks at Jerusalem as he knows that that city in, in 70 AD is going to be destroyed because they wanted him to be a literal physical king. He didn't, he didn't have any of those goals in mind. He wanted them to restore the relationship with God. They wanted to be restored with the world. And he knew that in 70 AD that would be destroyed, that they would be dispersed throughout the world, and it would be almost 2,000 years until there would be another nation. 1948 is when it was reestablished. And, and yes, we understand it now. We've, most of us have grown up in a world where Israel has all, always existed, but that wasn't the case from 70 AD to 1948 because Jesus entered this city at this moment and understood that that's why he was weeping. That this was going to have to happen for things to be set right. The world was going to have to be turned entirely upside down for 2,000 years. It's hard in the days that we're in right now to even comprehend that number. As we think about going into our second or third week of, of time spent in our homes and and not sure what God is doing, the Jewish people spent almost 2,000 years trying to figure out what they missed. That at this moment, as Jesus is riding into Jerusalem, they're screaming, Hosanna, Hosanna. They're laying palms on the ground. They're saying, finally, we have a king that, that's going to set everything right. And little did they know that Jesus was broken hearted because he knew what would truly bring them peace. And it wasn't meeting their physical needs here on earth. It was a relationship with God the Father through the Son. And that by the end of this week that we sit in, 
right now. The week that happened 2,000 years ago was just like it. We look at uncertain times. Things have been turned upside down. And, and as Jesus rides into the city, we see things change. We see them change by chapter 22 here. We see Jesus sitting with his disciples, explaining to them a little bit about what was going to happen. The nation was one piece of it. God had already decided what he was going to do with the nation of Israel. He had said that, that nothing will be left for, for as long as we know that time frame to be now, 2,000 years. He set that time up and knew it then. He knew that dealing with them nationally was going to be one thing, but, but he also knew that, that we would need the comfort of what Jesus was going to do. That as he opened up to his disciples, he was going to deal with them on a personal level. He was going to explain to them some things here in Luke chapter 22. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table. And he said to them, I have eagerly desired to eat the Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it again until it finds fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And after taking the cup, he gave thanks and said, Take this and divide it among you. For I tell you, I will not drink again from the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took the bread. He gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this is the cup in the new covenant, in my blood, which is poured out for you. But the hand of him who is going to betray me is with me on the table. And the Son of Man will go as it has been decreed. But woe to that man who betrays him. And they began to question among themselves which of them it might be who would do this. And a dispute among them also arose to which of them was considered to be the greatest. So as Jesus has wept over the city and ridden into Jerusalem and, and understands the national plight of what's going to happen to the nation of Israel, now we're coming to the close of the end of the week and, and Jesus wants to eat this Passover meal, one that signifies, if you remember from the Exodus, tying in the entire Jewish story, the, the story of the Passover, that the angel of death would literally pass over the door frames that had the blood applied. That was the season that they were in. And so Jesus was going to allow his disciples to see what it was that he was truly there for, that, that this kingdom that, that they wanted nationally, that kingdom that they wanted to see fulfilled with all the food and the healing and all of the things that they had, they had seen him do, that wasn't nearly as important as what his real goal was. And that was to eat this Passover meal with them and to explain to them that 
He was going to give up his very body. He was going to give up his blood for the remission of their sins. That this was going to change everything for eternity. That the opportunity was going to be put before them to fall more in love with him to accept the forgiveness of their sins, to have eternal life, all of those things would be unfolding after this moment. He said, I want to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. And he had explained some of that to them. And, and he says, I will not eat of these things again until the kingdom of God comes, that time in which he returns for those who have found him those that have proven faithful and, and given their lives and their hearts to Him. And it's incredibly important that in these moments of time, as we saw this, this story unfold in one week, right? From the beginning of the week when He rides in on the cult and they're praising Him for what He does and He's the King and now He's sitting with His most trusted uh, companions and He's sharing that I'm going to suffer like this kingdom that you're thinking about isn't going to last. It's not even going to make it a week. And I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die at the hands of these men. And I'm going to willingly give up my body, my blood for you to have eternity, to have a kingdom that you know nothing of yet. That, that when I come back, right, that it says... When this kingdom comes, then I'll drink of the fruit of the vine again. Then I will be back and, and be seated at your table when the Son of Man has gone as it is decreed. That there was something that was yet to be done. The world was turned upside down nationally there. They thought that, that he was going to ride in and... and overthrow the government and do all of those things, yes, but, but then he throws this curveball to, to his own disciples and says, that's not the plan, I'm going to suffer. And by week's end, we find ourselves not sure even what to do. And, and as we look at the world we live in today, there's a lot of those similarities. We're not really sure what to think of what is, what is God doing? Why does it not make sense to me yet? I want you to to understand that, that it won't always make sense. And it didn't make sense to even his trusted disciples. That in this moment, right after he tells them all these things, that, that, that he's going to suffer, that he wants to have his body, his blood spilled for them, that the betrayer is sitting among them, immediately they start to look at each other. They start to look around and say, well, who's going to betray him? Couldn't be me. They start to fight about who was considered to be the greatest. They missed it again. So, so not only did the entire nation of Israel miss it in that moment, they, they couldn't see it because it wasn't revealed to them. His most trusted disciples, those that were with him at this Passover meal, the ones that knew him most intimately, didn't understand it either in the moment. I want to challenge you to think for a moment how much we really don't know about our world. How much do we trust God 
for the fulfillment of what is decreed. All of this story, all of the details that are there, the 2,000 years that Israel would be dispersed around the world, all of those things were decreed. That he would go and suffer and die, that was decreed. That was laid out in advance for our benefit. If we believe that, then we believe that what we are going through currently is also decreed. That it has a purpose, a plan, something that has to do with how God is dealing with people and what it is that He desires. And, and I want you to take some time and really reflect this week. I want you to spend some extra time just thinking about how has this pandemic affected your peace, your comfort, your trust, what has it shaken? Did you put your faith in God because you had a good job and it was provided and, and you had all the meals you needed? He was feeding you. Did you have your faith and trust in God because you were healthy and there was no health scare in our world? He had healed us. Were we praising God because we wanted a kingdom without any problems and we thought he could provide that? Or do we want what he was offering to his disciples? To eat the Passover meal with them and explain, I am going to offer my body and my blood so that you can have eternal life. That when I return, that when I actually set up my kingdom, everything will be cared for. And it will be eternal. Is that what your faith and your hope is in? I want you to really, really drill down into that. Lay everything else aside. You have the opportunity now to really do that. Some of the things that we believed and trusted have been shaken to the core because of what we're going through. My hope is that our faith comes out stronger and more united and more focused after having gone through what we've gone through together. That we would take this picture and understand that, that God upsets the world regularly. He changes things routinely almost. And it always has a significance for drawing our hearts back to Him. For allowing us this moment to, to reflect and to think, what do I really believe at the core of who I am? Am I going to look around to point fingers and think about who might have done this? Am I going to worry, hey, I'm going to make it out of this because I have to. I'm one of the greatest to ever live. <laughs> the disciples even struggled through some of these things. I'm going to be praying for you this week. We're going to pick up this story next Sunday. And we're going to look at the longest night that the disciples and Jesus ever spent in their lives. 
And we're going to look at some of the things that, that parallel in our world to that. This week, I want you to really consider why it is that you follow Jesus. Do you praise his name because of all the miracles that you have seen? Or do you know him intimately and deeply? Have you understood what it is that he has done for you? Do you care that he, that he has changed the reality of your situation? Or are you okay with your reality and you can focus on eternity? I'm going to close in prayer and I want you to join me. Father, I pray that, that through this time you would continue to allow us to reflect. That as we see these periods of time before us even, that, that the world was in upheaval and that things didn't work out like the human race had thought it would. Lord, I pray that you would continue to allow us to see your good in it. That as a result of you not setting up your kingdom there and, and just ruling for a time, that you made a way for all of us to live eternally. Lord, that Jesus set aside the glory of heaven for our benefit for this period of time, that we could have a faith and a trust in you, God, as a result of our relationship with Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you for your love for us. Thank you for your foresight. Thank you for your eternal view. Lord, I pray that we would come out of these circumstances more firmly attached to your will and to your principles than ever before. God, thank you for your strength and for your wisdom. I pray that you would cement your word in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.